Good morning, and welcome to this edition of Advice Worth Keeping, KPMG's podcast series where we interview firm executives and thought leaders, as well as third-party industry luminaries and experts on important global business trends, topics, and leading practices. My name is Stan LaPique, and I lead global research for KPMG's Management Consulting Services Group. We have a great panel today and a very interesting topic. The topic is digital governance or the governance of digital labor, specifically looking at governance from the perspective of IT risk controls and compliance in an outsourcing scenario. So a lot of different moving parts here. So let's get right into this. So joining me here again today is Thomas Hall. Thomas is a member of the U.S. firm, part of the management consultancy group. We also have Fabiano Lopes, also from the U.S. firm and part of management consulting. And then we also have Kelly Combs. Kelly's also a member of the U.S. firm. She's part of the emerging technology section in our management practice. So in a previous podcast, some of you, or hopefully most of you, listened to, we talked about different classes of digital labor as KPMG defines them, robotics, process automation, cognitive computing, artificial intelligence, and how the use of these technologies are impacting outsourcing relationships, both from the perspective of the user or buyer of outsourcing, as well as from the provider. We talked about a lot of the benefits digital labor can bring, particularly from a cost perspective, and we touched briefly in that podcast on some of the risks and challenges related with the use of digital labor. So what we want to do today is have our panelists dive deeper into what we call digital governance, which includes not only operational management of digital labor and its implementation, but also the IT risk and controls associated with that. So maybe to start, Fabiano and Thomas, can you give a little bit more detail for our listeners on what are the opportunities clients are seeing and pursuing relative to digital labor and how the operating model to do so typically works? Sure, Stan. KPMG has recently seen several implementations, and it's a lot of our clients are currently implementing RPA. And one thing we're noticing is that the nature of these operations is fundamentally different from the way that we typically approach on application and software development, especially when regarding to third-party outsourcing providers. So think about digital labor as a product. Conceptually, a software that does a piece of work or a series of work within a large process and flow of services. This allows the client to basically provide an end-to-end view of the service and an end-to-end service to its customer. The traditional model of development of software doesn't really fit into this mold, especially because if a digital labor or an RPA is implemented by an outsourcing provider. The business model of the service provider needs to be taken into account. We're just talking about a theoretical exercise as well, the joint service delivery model amongst the service provider and retained services that the customer delivers to itself. We need to think about the delineation of IP ownership and rights, allocation of risk and development and execution. The stakeholders have different interests than they have in, in either traditional software development projects or traditional staff log or managed service offering that deliver run state services from outsourced providers. Typically, it's a successful digital program requires a mix of four parties, the IT and the business from the buyer side, as well as the IT and the business from the service provider side. They have to work together to get this deployed. And I think that's a good point you're making, Fabiano. It's important to be thinking about IT security and controls at the core of digital labor. 
So, you know, when we've seen previous technologies such as this cloud emerging on the marketplace, a lot of companies jumped on board with implementing it. Digital labor is no different. It's a very attractive technology, mostly because it can be implemented around a gamut of processes. But really, companies need to be very proactive when they're thinking about how are they going to establish digital governance appropriately from both the, the onset of the automation all the way through the run state. So, Kelly, from your travels in the market and your work with clients, what are you seeing relative to the uptake of digital labor? Are you seeing uh, opportunities for clients arise in specific areas? And if so, what would they be? And what level of automation are clients undertaking initially, at least the more novice or less experienced clients? So we're seeing a lot of clients currently implement what we call robotic process automation for task-oriented basic automation, and that's really a good suit for companies with large volumes of transactions. Maybe it's in their back-end processes or their call centers, but it really doesn't stop there. We're honestly seeing automation implemented across making IT processes more effective, financial processes, which typically have a lot of manual management review type activities, are also good candidates for automation. And it's important really to think about where are you thinking of implementing automation and is that particular process subject to any specific regulation or requirements such as Sarbanes-Oxley or SOX. But in general, I would say work of industry, there's no one process that fits with automation and class one or basic automation is a great place to start regardless of what process you're looking to automate. Kelly's right, Stan. The opportunities are all over the place, and there's huge opportunity cases. But to get to digital labor, and especially up to class two, class three, and, and cognitive and AI, it's a long path. A lot of our clients are starting with pilots in robotic process automation, RPA, class one is what we're talking about. And there's a lot of low-hanging fruit amongst both in-house and outsourced services, whether those outsourced services are IT infrastructure support, applications support testing and maintenance or various corporate services. There's especially large opportunities in finance and accounting services, including procurement functions. And we're not seeing a lot of class two of uh, bots being implemented. These are more advanced tools that can work under unstructured data, reasoning, and cognitive functionality in them. Mainly because the investment is a little bit higher, it's more complex to implement, and the knowledge within the workspace is still limited right now. But that said, we believe that between 12 and 18 months, we're going to start seeing more of these bots being implemented. People are going to feel more comfortable with the class one, and they're going to be a little bit more aggressive in pursuing additional capabilities and costs. What does the implementation model look like for digital labor? What are organizations, either the end user organizations or the service providers doing to be able to adopt and then expand upon the usage of the different types of process automation technologies you just described? As with all things in business and life, generally, there's choices. We've been seeing implementation in either a, what we call a federated model, where business users perform the automation development and IT maintains the platform. Maybe a little more commonly, and Kelly did to put on this as well, is a centralized model where IT is responsible for both the development and also the platform support and hosting what we call a digital center of excellence or digital COE. Regardless of which model is chosen, there's numerous stakeholders to wrangle, which requires the overall program governance, both in terms of developing a COE and then the run state. And it requires specific attention to IT risk, controls, compliance, 
a lot of touchy stuff as you're harvesting cost savings out of these opportunities. So then, what are the risks associated with digital labor, and then how does the program governance address those? Imagine there's many risks, but what are the key ones you see in the market, and then how does program governance help an organization to address them? Really, clients need to be thinking about governance in two different ways when they're starting on their automation journey. So one, I would say, at the overall program level, but also developing a separate IT governance function within your IT department. And when I think at the program level, what does that governance mean? Well, really here we're talking about the business needs to understand what are the different use cases for automation that are coming through the pipeline. How are they going to analyze what is the benefit of these use cases? What should be prioritized from a strategy perspective, but also weighing the benefit of those use cases against the business process risk? important to understand and obviously to realize your return on investment quickly, but you want to make sure that you're implementing use cases that aren't breaking your business processes or your internal policies. So having a value creation office or an overall program level that sets the strategy and the use case determination is important. But then the second piece being, okay, what is IT's role and how do they establish governance? So they need to have, as Thomas mentioned, that digital center of excellence where they're really thinking more about the IT risk, security, and control and maintaining what we call, you know, due diligence over the automation platform itself. So how do we know we have basic system security, that we have processes around activities such as change management, who has access, segregation of duties, but also monitoring the ongoing effectiveness of the program. And given that there's a lot of activities that are IT heavy, that's why we also suggest this IT digital center of excellence. And one more thing I'll add here, it's important to understand what are your existing policies and procedures, both at the business process level, but also within IT. So a lot of times we're telling our clients, you don't need to necessarily rework the wheel. So if you have processes or policies that work for you, that's great. How can we leverage those, but also integrate some of the nuances related to robotic process automation or digital labor so that you can be both agile enough to meet and make sure you're getting that return on investment and the business is seeing the benefit, but also so that you're addressing some of the security concerns that your InfoSec team might have in IT. The last thing I'll say is understanding what your policies are, what procedures are, whether your IT department is setting those policies and procedures, but then also how are you going to connect those with your outsourcing provider and making sure that you establish the roles and responsibilities between each of the relevant parties at the program, center of excellence level, as well as with your outsourcing provider. Kelly mentioned the underlying business processes and thinking through that. We also need to think about the systems and the data that may be subject to regulations like Sarbanes-Oxley, HIPAA, PCI, other industry-related regulatory requirements, and make sure you're designing and establishing control from the onset of the program in order to maintain compliance. So, Kelly, let's talk a little bit more about Sarbanes-Oxley. How does digital labor program governance and the governance of automation efforts relate to financial controls such as stocks? We mentioned earlier that the financial processes are a great use case, and there's a number of use case candidates or ideas that are great for automation. However, when we're thinking about financial processes, we need to be talking about stocks. And those of you that are familiar with stocks or work a lot in sort of the internal audit realm, you'll understand the concept that systems and controls are becoming a bigger focus and component of the financial audit. So we 
really need to be thinking about as you're going along the automation journey, what are the processes that I currently have that are subject to automation, and are those SOX processes? Also, what will the flow of data look like when I move from a manual process to a new automated process? And then how will we ensure that the underlying system that you use to perform the automation is subject to those IT general controls as you would have any other SOC system? Personally, see the biggest impact that automation will have on SOCs is really related to an increase in the number of automated application controls and automated methods to generate business reports that management ultimately will review. And I think because of the places that automation will happen within a business process, we're going to see that the underlying platform will be in scope from a SOX perspective. It's really important uh, ultimately to have a process where you're thinking about how are my what could go wrong to my manual process changing and having a process where you can be able to react and redesign your controls and your process narratives to reflect sort of your new automated control. And lastly, it's really thinking about, okay, we're going to put this governance function in place, but having those conversations with your external auditor about how this automation will affect your key financial processes and what your overall strategic journey is will be super important to getting your external auditor on board as well. So a ton of different points in this area, but stocks will definitely be impacted by digital labor. How does all this integrate with contract and relationship governance? Stan, it's important to highlight a few things. The premise that drove several of these deals in the past is losing power. RPA is changing the way that organization and cost structure of vendors and is allowing buyers to explore a little bit more of these changes by trying to optimize their costs to serve. That changes a lot of the discussions that we used to have when we were setting up these deals in the past that were mostly FTE-driven to different things that we are currently discussing about. So things like who owns and manages the bots and how long is the expanding, how fast can you go or how technically are you ready to deploy those. The other thing that's being discussed is how you control that expansion. Is it IT-driven where IT designs, builds, and put them in production, or you want to have a more free or decentralized approach where the business can basically configure and put those bots in production. Other points to discuss is, let's assume that a vendor develops a standard pre-configured bot and they seek the intellectual property over this new tool. How does that imply in terms of a client who decides that they want to configure and put their own bots in place? They can run the risk of uh, breaking some of these IP property rights. Other point is the contract model itself, because it's changing from FTE to performance or output base, which allows the vendor to basically change the pricing structure and eventually because of the significant cost reductions that the bots allow you to pursue also reduce a lot the cost for the buyer and there's got to be a commitment from both sides to get those savings implemented into the contract so these discussions are creating nowadays a need for customers to basically set up new ways of govern the contracts as well as maybe even new entities to do so. We need to think about how we move forward in those contracts to renegotiate in light of what Kelly was talking about, the controls, automation of controls, and who's going to do what. We talked earlier about four parties simplifying who's involved, but we said the business and IT from both service provider and customer. That's a lot of folks. There needs to be a new set of rules when we open up these contracts and move forward with digital to ensure 
the customer's policies and procedures are clearly in front of the service provider, and we respect the idea that there is IP being developed, who's going to own it, where it's going to reside at the end of the day when a contract is terminated, and work on pricing mechanisms and service quality assurance as it makes sense. Maybe to wrap up today's session, and we'll certainly continue this topic on a subsequent podcast, what's our perspective on whether a client needs a center of excellence for digital labor governance? What are the governance functions that the firms recommend? I think so. I would suggest yes. Um, being the risk side of the house, I would say IT governance needs to be and has to be embedded into that broader governance program. As I talked about before, creating an overarching process that does the automation strategy for the organization, how are we going to prioritize use cases between the different business departments, what are good candidates for automation, how do we approve them, but also evaluate the risk associated with those use cases is sort of the broader level, but then establishing within IT a competency that's responsible for that specific IT strategy, IT delivery, IT operations. So those concepts I mentioned earlier around change management, segregation of duties, access controls, even down to effectiveness of the automation itself. And are you violating the existing security policies or practices? So my recommendation would be to establish a separate sub-function that's basically comprised of your IT department and your InfoSec within IT. That's a way to be successful and make sure that you're accounting for risk along this automation journey. Fabiano, Thomas, Kelly, great stuff today. We got through a lot of ground, and we'll definitely get you back to talk more about the last topic of Sons of Excellence. We will be looking forward to that. And for our listeners, if you haven't taken a listen to the recent podcast I did with Thomas Kelly and one of their colleagues, certainly do that. And all three of you, thank you very much for taking your time today on Advice Worth Keeping. And you can find the links to the items we referenced in the show today below the podcast. If you're online, of course, the URL for that is kpmg.com slash us slash podcast. That's a wrap. Thanks for your participation.